Hello, everyone. I'm Nick Huzar, uh, the host of Stuff TV and also the co-founder of OfferUp. And I've spent a decade watching secondhand goods exchange hands. And that led me to ask questions about my own existence and how I impact the planet. And I found it really hard. So I started uh, Stuff TV um, with a mission to interview really interesting thought leaders to help enlighten us. Uh, climate is a very complex problem. And it's something that I think that uh, everyone's interested in, but we're always seeking answers. So kind of on a personal mission, mission here. And uh, I'm excited uh, to have uh, Jack Bruner with me today from the Carbon Neutral Club. And he has a really interesting, uh, I think, perspective on, you know, how do you measure these things? Not only individually, but as a business. And, uh, you know, it is a big, complex topic. So, Jack, thank you so much for being here. And I'll hand it over to you, maybe a quick uh, just background and how did you get into you know, Carbon Neutral Club. Thanks, Nick. It's so great to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, you know, Carbon Neutral Club, we're two and a half years into our life cycle. Uh, we've changed a lot. And, and yeah, I guess the root of our story as a team was, you know, my, my co-founders and I come from backgrounds in technology. We were product managers, software engineers, working in agency environments for the most part. So we had clients, we were doing client work. And we were really intentful on uh, finding opportunities to drive sustainable uh, action forward within our relatively small companies, like 200 person, sub, sub 200 person companies. And uh, it's hard, right? It was really hard to do that when you can't really visualize so clearly what the climate impact of a digital agency is. We were already quite remote back then. So uh, it was hard to kind of get traction on that front. And then we had clients who were some of the biggest companies in the world building these billion dollar strategies on how to decarbonize and it was just so clear as day at that time we looked at it and we thought these are just pure top-down strategies. It's it's focused really scope one, scope two, our owned assets and our buildings are, are manufacturing and doesn't really consider the you know the decision making at a ground level, the the individuals who make up these 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 massive organizations. So we built Carbon Neutral Club. Um, we launched it in uh, 2021, and we are a climate-focused employee engagement platform. We help companies, big and small, take their climate objectives and engage their employees to take part in them. So employees, for context, get an opportunity to calculate their personal and their work-related scope of three emissions. They, uh, based on those emissions, their role in the company, they get offered a path of education and action and challenges and all these things they can do to progress their impact. And then along that journey, they're rewarded and incentivized with all kinds of things, but all comes down to this, this fun points-based model. So mm -hmm. um, that's where we're at. Really quick version of how we yeah. got here. So maybe started at a high level and then we could kind of drill deeper too. You know, sometimes there are these big numbers and these dates that are thrown out there and people are confused. Like, what are these big dates? You know, what, what is 2050? What do these mean? Maybe can you enlighten us a little bit on... Yeah, who sets those up and why are they important? Great question. You hear uh, 2050 a lot and you hear 1.5 degrees a lot. Uh, disseminate, dis let's pull the two apart. One is a deadline, one is a target. <laughs> two very different things. The, the, the concepts in general, they are selected, communicated by a group of nonpartisan scientists, climate scientists. Let's just leave it at, at that for, for a layer of complexity. Um, the 2050 targets uh, the most... Uh, popularized for a really key reason. It's, it's our biggest quote-unquote near-term target. That's the moment at which we need to achieve a point of no new net new carbon emissions added to the atmosphere. So every single year right now, we're adding more and more yeah. emissions. We've made no dent in the curve right now. No, it's it's exponential at this point. So the first objective is a point of drawdown where we start to see 
the curve start to turn downward, which we're not at yet. Uh, and then the second objective is to get to a point where no new emissions are being added year over year. So we're quite a ways away. The target is 2050, and uh, it connects logically to a global average temperature warming of the 1.5 degree target. So we need to hold the Earth to a point of an average temperature increase of 1.5 degrees, which is a pre of pre-industrial time. Which, and by the way, look at the look at the the news right now. Record heat. We're about there. Death Valley, 131 degrees yesterday. Yeah. We were talking after the week's hottest week on record. Yes. The worst record to for us to... Room for improvement. We have room for improvement, yes. We're, we've actually seen very close to the 1.5 degree warming target already uh, achieved, for lack of a better word. Yeah, we're on pace for, for pretty uh, substantial warming, but we do see you know tremendous progress toward these key passive drawdown uh, across consumer markets, across... You know, renewable energy, this great policy improvement happening in the States, uh, particularly. So I think the, the good thing around climate is we're now in a stage where you can look out the window and I think people are just, you know, when I was a kid, we talked about these things at a high level, but I almost feel like we didn't have enough data and you couldn't see it maybe as much as extreme. Like we, you know, I live in Washington and August is the best time of year here, typically. And I'd say the last six years, you've had smoke every, you know, every year. And that was never the case ever growing up. And so I think you're now people are paying more attention and saying, Hey, some of the stuff that like Carl Sagan was talking about in the eighties and the nineties, like, wait, this is real. And so it's good to see, I think the amount of people working on things like, you know, like what your company's doing and the amount of people that care, especially the younger generations paying attention and saying, what are we doing about this? And I think there's, hopefully that's a way to also get you in other organizations is like, hey, what is our strategy for this? And it's not acceptable anymore for people to just say, hey, this is uh, not our problem. This, everyone's got to play some hand in this. It's super sad for that smoke to show up on someone's door and say, okay, I'm ready to talk about this now. But it's one of the tools that we're seeing to be quite effective in just mobilizing action. I, I live in Toronto, so East Coast, and... We had the first ever substantial smoke uh, hitting um, hitting Toronto. It was very widely uh, reported. Also hit New York, which we're very close to, and um, yeah, tons of tons of people, family and friends, people who uh, weren't disinterested but weren't exactly engaged with the climate problem were reaching out saying, "What is what's actually happening right now? Is this like the new normal?" And it's kind of like, yeah, it, you know, we have some work to do for sure if we want it to not be. So it's good action. And I think that smoke it also went across the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. Thank you. In Europe. Yeah. Yeah. That's often, you know, sometimes around climate, some of the challenges are, oh, it's my problem or it's not my problem. But you realize that we're all in this floating orb together, you know, as smoke travels everywhere. And there's actually, I don't know if you spent much time on the NASA website, but they've got some really good visuals. You can actually see, you know, you can see CO2 on an annual basis. You can see, you can watch yeah. most major events. You can watch tornadoes, hurricanes, most wildfires. You can go in there and see it from a satellite. So it's really, it's really an interesting uh, view that they have there. I just think they do kind of a poor job of marketing. <laughs> They're scientists. They're yeah. focused on their work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, totally. I, I mean, um, so there's a few things that I, I would emphasize in, in what has been a bit of a gloomy uh, focus so far is that um, the intent is is there. You know, when you think about this 2050 timeline, this like, huge macro objective, we need top-down change, right? We need industrial shift. We need a, a policy and, and, and real democratic shift in thinking. These institutions historically, um, you know, they are influenced by 
the, dem the demographic that they engage with. The, the profit motive drives the sort of decision-making that the corporate sector makes. The democratic motive drives the decision-making that the you know political sector uh, uh, makes, uh, public sector. To a degree, there's some influence, third-party influence there. What we're seeing very productively is that this top-down change is being either talked about or actioned in some meaningful ways in some organizations. And the ones that are seeing it most successfully implemented have the bottom-up influence and action and requests by the, the workforce, the consumer demographics they serve to, to make this change. So we kind of need to think about using these sorts of activities, these moments where there's intensity in the conversation, real something really tangible, and get people to, to talk about it, like message someone in their company or change a decision that you would normally make, maybe buy a product that's you know lower impact, refillable, something simple like that, because these things matter and they, they bubble up. When you think about, I was you know on your website, and it looks like you break kind of down your areas of focus for companies, individuals. You also have classes and projects. Maybe can you elaborate a little bit more on how how you're approaching this uh, and, and strategically kind of why have you honed in on those areas? For sure. So we started the business very B2C focused with a really, really intentful focus on the idea of changing individual decision making. We haven't really lost that from user experience perspective. We just shifted the context of that individual. Within early days of our company, we had major companies reaching out saying, hey, can we roll this out with our workforce? This is a wonderful idea to measure individual footprints, offset those footprints, offer passive reduction. We now focus within organizations because what we see are major institutions uh, like we have you know, client like Capital One, as an example, who's got a climate strategy of their own. We have many others who are deep into their 10-year, 20-year uh, drawdown plan, and they need to find ways to disseminate this complex set of targets and behavioral changes and objectives to this 10,000, 20,000 person workforce. But there's, there's fundamental gaps. There's uh, scientific language. There's underlying concepts that maybe some people assume are known, but there's basic knowledge gaps that prevent clear communication. Um, and in order for us to hit these 2030, 2050 paths to net zero, we need to be a cohesive unit drawing uh, in the same direction of, of our path of drawdown. So you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned for individuals. So it's really important that anybody can take part in Carbon Neutral Club to understand their footprint and find some paths of drawdown. Um, but the most critical gap we've found um, across every demographic, every part of the world, every every sector is education being the biggest and most critical gap. It's this like common language. Like you, we can sit here and talk about 2050, but what does it mean? And why are we making these decisions and what's the value? Even if it costs us in the short term, what's the ROI long term? So we're focused really intently on storytelling, making it personalized with your data, giving you a net zero plan of your own effectively within work and home um, and, a, and a huge anchor that's uh, classes and content. Yeah, I think that is the biggest part of all of this. And that's the reason I'm spending time doing this podcast because I was seeking answers and I found it hard. And you realize that you know, you can't approve what you can't measure. And so some of the things I was looking at was like nutrition labels. So as a kid, we didn't have nutrition labels when I was born. So now I'm kind of dating myself. And then they became more complex. And then all of a sudden we started caring what calories were, right? When I was a kid, but you know, we didn't drink water. Nobody drank water. We drink soda full of calories, right? We all, and then everything became, you know, so you see this trend. Well, once you started having nutritional labels, people started paying attention to calories. Then food started changing what we consumed. And I think my, oh, around climate, it's the same thing. Like I think, I think there should be a CO2 label on everything that's manufactured. 
you should understand the impact of that product. And I think manufacturers should have some level of accountability to the products they produce. And today they really don't, right? You know, they can, you can create whatever you want and there's, there's very little accountability there. So, you know, I do, yeah. I do think that's the hard part, you know, with this is the good, the good part about all this is it's forcing companies to actually start to ask the question like, oh, what is their impact, right? And then it's kind of what you're talking about. How do you build it into the regular cadence of business where you have your quarterly business reviews, you're talking about your PNLs, you're talking about finance, and then you're also talking about this, right? And I just think historically, most companies have not, they haven't done it or they haven't had the infrastructure to even measure or workflow to even figure out how to do it. Or an incentive. That's a big, re companies don't have the reason to do it. Maybe they want to do it. Everyone in the boardroom says, yeah, great. But then something that's revenue generating comes up and that's got to be a priority. Yeah. There's some fire in that. So we're seeing some great examples of the incentive coming out of like peer-to-peer -peer sort of pressures. Companies like Walmart, as an example, you have to have some uh, carbon accounting reporting being done. So if you want to sell to them, there's this concept of trickle-down carbonomics that we talk about a lot over here, where if you want to do business with these big companies, you have to align with their carbon accounting mo modules. And part of that's a regulatory requirement for, yeah. for them, uh, but also it creates that reason, a real financial incentive for someone to prioritize it. I think it's going it, to gonna come from all sides. You need government pressure and policy, and then you need like bottoms up, okay, what you're talking about as individuals now being enlightened and educated and saying, hey, you know, no, we're, we're, we, we want to start to do this here. What is our company doing? And holding yep. management teams accountable to say, hey, what's the plan? I think that's also probably the hard part with some of these because I have talked to some larger companies and they talk about these big targets they want to get after. And then you start to double click and you realize, oh, wait a minute. It's just, you know, it's easy to put a target out there when it's a decade, two decades out. Right. But what is really, what are the milestones along the way? How do you know you're even tracking towards that? Yes. It's very easy to build a report and ship it. And I think the stat is, is 7% of corporate net zero targets are on track for the, for the objectives that they'd set for themselves. So it's, there are some who are exceptional and doing exactly as they said they would, but it's a really complex path. Even if the intent is very real, it's hard to translate that intent into action and do it across departments, geographies. It's just a complex objective and the gap is not the intent. The intent seems to be there. The regulatory world is going to catch up and create that intent and that incentive. Uh, but biggest gap we're seeing is our sustainability teams and leaders having a resource gap, either the lacking the right toolkit to disseminate, really communicate effectively across large distributed teams uh, in the way that maybe growth teams or human resource teams, they have that existing infrastructure and how to how to do these, you know, long-term change management activities. The sustainability apparatus is relatively fresh and being built right now as the plane flies sort of thing. Yeah. Do you find that when you think of some of the bigger challenges to have more people, you know, really starting getting the gears clicking and all that is, is part of it, this is a fairly new thing across the board or, or what do you think the bigger challenges are to, to get people to really embrace something like you know, carbon neutral club and really getting it working within an organization. There's two things we talk about a lot. It's uh, personalization and incentive. So personalization is not like consumerist personalization of your, your newsfeed. It's more telling a story of climate change that's relevant to you. So I mentioned we started B2C focused and, and what we would do historically in our old world was calculate your personal carbon footprint. So nothing to do with work, like your your diet, your household consumption, travel habits, 
and offer you passive production. Now, we've shifted to this very B2B reality um, for many reasons, but we never lost that personal calculator because it grounds this story of climate change that is so overwhelming and scientific and scary into your day, your decisions. And even though you're a drop in a bucket of a drop in a bucket, it personifies these concepts in how you choose to take a flight and what that means, what your ground travel means in proportion to your footprint, your shopping habits, your dietary habits. And we tell this story of here are the things that you can do at home and at work, but in a lens that is based on you, your life, your job, your scope of responsibilities. So that's gap number one that we try and solve for every day. And gap number two is incentive back to, you know, humans being incentive-based creatures. Historically, it's these like targets, this regulation has been thought of as like additional and a, and a pain, something I got to change my life around. But what we're trying to do is flip the script and saying, hey, here's a piece of educational content that's relevant to you and your footprint, or here's a lifestyle change, installing, let's say, a smart home thermostat to reduce your household's energy emissions by 15%. Not only will we support you and give you like a low-cost path to, to installing that, but we're also going to reward you with these points. And these points can be used to redeem tree planting. You could buy gift cards. If your employer wanted to give you days of time off, maybe you could do that. So it's, it's connecting this whole concept of corporate incentive at a role-based level to a path of reduction that's relevant to each person. Those are the two spheres that we think a lot about. Yeah. And, and I think the, the challenge with all this is everyone is accustomed to their lifestyle. They don't really want to change much. But some of the things I've observed, and even in my own house, just you just start to just ask the question, look around and go, hey, you know, I used, a, I was promoting this company called Drops, which is the Instead of the big tide, you know, pla you know, plastic containers, there these yeah. comes in cardboard and you just throw it in the, the uh, wash, and it's great. And uh, it didn't really, you know, I think it cost us about the same, um, but it was far more efficient. So just things like that, you look around and go, hey, this didn't really inconvenience me that much, and now I'm doing something that's better. And so probably a number of things that people just, again, if they know they start to understand the impacts of these things, then you'll take a few minutes to do it. But I think some of the challenges clearly with climate are, if it takes more time or it costs more money, people oftentimes they say, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. And so yeah. I think that's, uh, the measurement's number one. And if, as you were talking, I started thinking more about, um, everyone has these smart watches now, right? And you measure, and everyone's checking their steps. How many steps you get? Everyone's hanging out, having dinner. Oh, how many steps do you get today? It's like normal conversation. Yeah. Uh, hopefully at some point there's a, a unit of measurement talking about like, you know, what was your impact today? I could see, I could see a world like that. Um, yeah. it'll take some time. That's the Holy grail. If we get there, we can measure it all. The other lens of it is particularly in a corporate environment, there's this nerve around false statements, imperfect strategy, making a mistake in the public eye and being scrutinized for. And of course that needs to exist and it, and it does for good reason, but I feel with this problem in particular, we need to embrace imperfection and allow people to do some and not all, meet them maybe where they are in their journey. Maybe they're not ready to fully give up red meat today. That's okay. Um, one day at a time, you know, maybe we do a meal at a time. We just try and get you excited about a, you know, non-meat recipe, simple as that. Um, so I think we need to bring down the the bar to within, within reason, of course, and, and keep the checks and balances in place and let people learn as they go and not scrutinize. So Yeah. It's like starting a company uh, or cleaning your garage. Just start. Just start moving. Again, and, and if you look at the if you look at the big insurmountable the big problem feels insurmountable. And so I, I just same thing. I just encourage people just to 
just start moving and, and be curious about things and you'll find you'll find ways to make an impact and that would surprisingly be be shocking to you, but you just got to spend a little time on it. Absolutely. It's... Uh, I was going to say uh, on your website, you had a few other things that were interesting that I thought was, uh, I was curious about this pro this projects you, you do. Is that a company thing or something you promote? What's that about? Yeah. So um, those projects are carbon offset, uh, carbon avoidance, carbon removal initiatives that we support, our, our community supports. Um, so part of our offering, a voluntary component is um, you can measure your footprint or your employees' footprints, both at home and at work. You offer them paths of reduction. So you, you help them draw down over a period of time their footprints by a certain percentage. To a degree you're interested, you're able to also fund carbon removal. So the idea is, let's say we calculate my footprint to be 15 tons. You could fund 15 tons of carbon offsets, putting that individual at a point of neutral from a carbon emissions perspective. Not all of our clients do it. It's totally voluntary. It's passed through. We just fund really high quality um, verified uh, projects that that we love and support. Um, but I, I want to be clear that for anyone listening who's thinking about offsetting, that the calculate and offset is an incomplete strategy. That's not a climate strategy. That's yeah. uh, two steps of three. The really important one is the middle, which is the path of reduction. So many of our clients choose to fund and fund carbon removals um, supplemental on top of the path of reduction. Um, so if you check out that tab on our site, those are the ones that we support currently, but we're constantly adding and evolving based on membership, uh, member feedback on what everyone's excited about. You, you know, when, when you were talking, I was thinking about a few things. One is you've got reduction, then you've got literally things like carbon sequestration, right? You got materials that are actually ingesting carbon, but then the, the one that still rubs me the wrong way a bit is offsets hmm. and paying for offsets. I feel like that's a cheat code. So uh, what, your, what is your view on offsets? Um, they're critical to our path of success. They're one of the only carbon financing solutions that uh, really work. So I, I think we need them. Um, but as I said, I think they, uh, they need to be used in the right way. Um, they're at huge risk of a you know, greenwashing potential if you think of measuring your footprint and offsetting that footprint. It's like game over, we did our job. Um, if you're not connecting it to a path of drawdown, that is the like yeah, exactly. definition of a flawed strategy and, and wrong. We shouldn't be funding. But carbon removals, carbon sequestration, this is a really key part of our long-term climate objective. We, we talked about 2050. That's the most talked about timeline because it's big. It's short-term horizon. But we've been adding carbon to the atmosphere to a substantial 50 billion tons or more every single year of net new carbon. And this stuff doesn't go anywhere naturally, right? It's sitting there for the most part in the atmosphere. And between 2050 and 2100, we need to remove all that carbon from the atmosphere. The 2100 target doesn't get talked about as much because it's still future. Because most people won't be alive that are paying attention to it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> unfortunately. That period of time, we need to be funding carbon removals. We need to have a really scaled carbon sequestration strategy. So to your question of do we, do we like offsets, uh, high quality offsets, uh, uh, credited ones, additional. So make sure that they are high quality in, in nature. There are different types, right? So there's carbon avoidance projects that are losing more and more of the, let's say, market share. And the carbon uh, removals, the one that actually suck carbon from the atmosphere in a very measurable way, those are a really, really key part of our collective strategy long-term. So we do need them and we need to shift the narrative to funding the right projects, not the end project. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What, um, what gets you excited when you think about the next five to 10 years? I know I always think the 
the challenge with climate is I'm fairly optimistic in general, but I, I'm pretty neutral, right? There's a lot of things that are challenging, but also just, there's a lot of exciting innovations. There's a lot of cool things that people are doing that I just think are super exciting. Like I think the biggest challenge and opportunity of our time is harnessing electricity. Um, I think it's, you know, the next number of decades is going to be the most critical thing for us, but also hopefully in terms of cleaning up CO2 emissions, really, you know, long-term, I think it's going to be great. I can imagine it and imagine a big city, right. That no longer has combustion engines polluting. Like it'll just be yeah. so much cleaner, but are there things like that that get you excited? Well, I think the inflation reduction act that was passed by the current U S administration was a wonder, a wonderful win. It set the groundwork. Of course it's imperfect but it did lay a path for a real renewable future for the US. And we hit some really critical um, thresholds of renewable energy creation of the total US grid in, over the past uh, year. So those were some really key wins in that energy category. Uh, EVs are also, as you brought up, hitting a bit of a tipping point of total market share. Now it's really important to call out that we're not ready for a total EV reality, right? We need to solve the energy capacity problem, the distribution creation in a clean way before we can all turn up the, the dial on how much energy we demand from our ground transport. So there's problems to solve there. Another category I've spent a lot of time talking about, learning about is uh, cement, concrete. Um, concrete's one of the biggest heavy emitter categories of our total collective footprint. It's, it's like a one-to-one. -one. So you, you produce concrete, uh, one pound of it, you're producing a pound of cement and uh, of carbon. So you look at, at your cityscape, think about how much weight is in these buildings, these streets, these sidewalks. It's a one-to-one. -one. So it's staggering. Also uh, the second most consumed substance on the planet, concrete. Yes. And what is number water? Water. Water's, oh. Water's number one. Damn. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think it's a, every year we're putting up a New York city's worth of buildings. Um, so it's dramatic. So yeah. the, the chemical cement is the, the bad actor in concrete. It's a, it's an input material to the output that is concrete. So there are, there's a project that we support called carbon cure. Another one called carbon limit, two companies thinking differently, about how to turn concrete into a uh, low or zero emission product. And even in, in cases uh, a sequestration tool. So you pour concrete that actually sucks carbon from the atmosphere uh, from a sustainable cement solution. So that's one thing I also am excited about. The last thing, Nick, and I feel like you'll be excited about it too, is the bottom-up wave is, is different right now than it ever, ever has been. 80% of individuals are ready and willing to change the way that they live and the way that they work to reduce their climate impact. It's a global stat. Yes, there's rough headlines that come out a lot, sensationalized climate news for sure, but the intent at a ground level is there and we we just need to find ways to translate that intent into action. And and that is what keeps me, I guess, like motivated to yeah. this very bleak problem. And I've been saying yeah, that to your point, very passionate about that. Cause I often say, um, you know, if you wanna if you wanna really make an impact, do more things locally. Buy more things secondhand. And especially the younger generation seems to really embrace that. Like, why would you, clothing is a good example. Can, oh, there's a great shirt there. Just go, you know, buy it. Or furniture. I often think about when people move. I think the average person in the U.S. moves seven times in their life. How often are you taking everything with you into your next place? You know, it's like a new canvas. And so you end up buying or selling these things. And so all those things are typically local. And the challenge today in the world we live in is it's easier to get an item delivered to you from China than it is down the street. But I do think the future will be a little bit different because if you th like where are all these things going? 
That's mm-hmm. often what I say, like, where's all the Amazon stuff going over time? And what's happening is value is growing in urban areas all around all around the world, Toronto, especially in the major cities. Uh, our homes are getting bigger. We're any more storage units. Like, and so I think the future, hopefully, there's more and more ways to un- unlock things locally. Uh, and and yeah. I think in, in that future, it's just far more sustainable. And there's really cool things happening again thematically. Like I did uh, the podcast last week was uh, with a company. It's one of the largest waste management companies in the U.S. And they were specifically talking about how there, there's so much value in our waste stream in the U.S. still. And it just ends up, you know, it was, it was this fairly inefficient process. But what if we could harness an example we used was the uh, the big tide uh, containers for your, uh, you know, for your laundry. And he said, well, they're building out this... Uh, polymer center where they're actually going to be able to extract all of that out in the waste stream and start to partner with companies like Tide and say, Hey, no longer do you have to manufacture these and ship them across the world from China. You can just now start to do this locally next door. And so you can think about, you know, resyncing some of these old processes that have been around for decades and figure out how do you start to unlock things like this. And I just, I'm very bullish on that. I just think that the challenge of course is time and speed and how do you get people to move faster? Yeah, that stuff gets me excited. Yeah, it's great that the younger generation is bought in, and and that's usually how things go. But we need the influence to come also from upper generations who are still holding positions of power, substantial amounts of positions of power. So, um, yeah, finding that translation is is the name of the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know we're kind of at time. Any other things that are top of mind or things that. If somebody's watching this and says, hey, you know, how can I get more involved? Any recommendations for people? Absolutely. Um, I mean, from from like a pure action perspective, three things that I always would mention is like, you know, things you could do today. One is educate yourself, understand what your state or province's energy grid is composed of. Maybe just Google a little bit about that, understand the nature of your climate impact a little bit more, and then talk about what you learn with others. So it's not just you learning in a silo. Also reducing air travel is a really critical input to your individual footprint. Maybe even reducing your household food waste can be a tremendous impact to your individual footprint. If you work in a corporate environment and you have opportunity or action interest to to nudge and create action in your four walls, uh, reach out to your sustainability leader, maybe your CEO. If you don't have one of those, just say, "What what is our strategy? How are we thinking about our path of drawdown? Um, and be the one to nudge that conversation. And then the last thing I would say is, if you're interested in this concept of climate culture and integrating this in your life, your work environment, how to foster that, we're hosting, Carbon Neutral Club is hosting um, a webinar on August 3rd, if if this comes out in time. And it's all about this idea of how do you translate this intent of, of cultural integration of climate action into your workplace. Uh, we have some wonderful speakers, so you could come join us for more of this yapping away. <laughs> Well, great, Jack. Thank you so much for giving us some time. And, you know, this is a big, uh, complex problem. And I think what your company is doing is, you know, is, is very necessary. I think, uh, you know, oftentimes big companies don't have the infrastructure, the tools to really figure out, you know, what do we even do here? And so having a resource like, like Carbon Mutual Club is definitely going to be helpful for a lot of organizations. But thanks again. I appreciate it, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. 